Hey, good morning. Can you hear me? Am I on? I'm on. I hope I'm on. If I'm not on, just throw things at me. I don't care. Hey, listen, King David said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. He didn't say I was mad. He didn't say I was glad. Or he didn't say he was (laughs) sad. (laughs) Sorry. He said he was glad. Are you glad that you're here this morning? Some of you are not so sure. Are you glad? Yes. All right, good. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm Pastor Mike. I'm pastor of church down in, in Reading for about 30 years. And um, I'm not Pastor Mike from Valley, from Valley, from Florence Christian Church here. The, the way you can tell the difference is Pastor Mike here is a lot thinner than I am, okay? I'm more of a full-figure guy, okay? So that's how you tell us apart. We've been going through a series in the book of Romans called God Revealed. And um, as we read Paul's letters, his epistles, he he has a particular style in a lot of them that you might want to notice is what he does is he first tells us what God has done for us. All the blessings, all the mercy and grace that he's given to us. And then he tells us what, at some point there's a transition, what our response should be. And here in Romans, that transitional point is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul says, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of Christ, that you present your bodies A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then he goes on to say, and be not conformed to this world. Don't be squeezed into the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which you may prove, that you may prove what is the good, perfect, acceptable will of God. And last week, Pastor Mike shared with us It's not only enough for us just to know what God said and know God's Word. We need to do it also. We need to do what God said. And in the Jewish mind, you didn't know something until you actually did it. And we, a lot of times, get a lot of theology and we know a lot of stuff, but are we doing it? So often in a counseling session, People, people would come in, and they know what they're supposed to do. They're just not doing it. So to really know something is to do it. And last week, um, Pastor Mike covered that we are to love one another. We're to love even the unlovely. We're to love our enemies. I think James put that whole concept when he said, when he said that faith without works is dead, is the faith that you're having producing works? Is it doing something? Or is it dead? Is it real faith? Sometimes I think only God knows. Now we're going to use, a, a, we're going to read a huge uh, portion of Scripture here. So if you want to open your Bibles or pick up a pew Bible, we're going to start in Romans Chapter 14, it's uh, page 948 in the Pew Bible, if you want to read that, or follow along with me as I read aloud. 
Paul goes on to say, he says, We're to receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He observes the day, observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that we might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written... As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then let each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's a good one to mark, except in, don't do it in the pew Bible. <laughs> For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which are made for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for a man who eats with offense. It, it is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, or offended, or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Wow, that's something. Whatever is not from, from faith is sin. And then he continues in chapter 15. We then are strong, that are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself. 
But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, on Christ. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant to you like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. And sometimes it's kind of difficult to understand who we are to receive and who we aren't to receive. It's hard for us to understand the difference between the essentials and the non-essentials. So Lord, I pray that you would just give us a, a mind to understand, a heart to receive, and the will to do what your scriptures teach us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, before we get into this, we need to define some, some terms. And the, and the first one is to receive. Now, what does receive mean? It means to grant one's access to one's heart. It means to take into friendship and contact. It means when I receive you, I take you into my heart and I become friends with you. And vice versa. It means, it means to welcome or to accept. So that's what receive means. And then it says the weak in faith. We are to receive those that are weak in faith. Now who is those, are those that are weak in faith? Now, he's not talking about somebody that is morally weak. He's not talking about somebody that is weak in character. He's not talking about someone who is spineless, somebody who refuses to stand up for his faith in God. Rather, he's talking about somebody who is weak because they're having a hard time with the great liberating truths that Paul has delivered and laid out in the book of Romans. They haven't quite grasped Romans 8.1, where it says, Therefore there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. They haven't got a, a hold of Romans 5.1, that salvation is apart from works. It's not through being legalistic that we are saved. He's speaking of weakness in, re, in relationship to an oversensitivity to the non-essentials. Now, in the Christian faith, there are those things that are essential to really to be a true believer, and there are things that are non-essential. The things that are, are essential, I'll die for. But the things that are non-essential, I might argue about. There, there are the negotiable and the non-negotiable things in the Christian faith. There are things that are cultural. There are things that are biblical. And we need to determine which is which. Now, the essentials are the great doctrines that have been laid out through the historic creeds, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, those, those creeds that, that, that determine what the real Christian faith is all about. Salvation by grace through faith alone. 
the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, the Trinity, those sorts of things. Those are the essentials. Those are the things that I'll die for. The non-essentials are, that we'll argue about sometimes is the timing of the rapture. Should we have a Christmas tree this year or not? You know, Those, th- those sorts of things. How old is the earth? The various do's and don'ts. The days of worship, what we eat, what we drink, those are non-essentials. You hear people say, well, what did he eat? What's in your glass over there? You know? I heard you praying in tongues the other day. You shouldn't do that. Or people will say, this person did that, or that person did this. Oh, that church over there had a woman teach. This, this problem existed in the early church and it still exists today. You know, you shouldn't dance or chew gum or go with girls that do, right? The church of Jesus is the bringing together of all these different people from different backgrounds, different perspectives, different traditions into one unit. Something that Jesus promised that he would do. You know, I was, I performed a wedding on the Sacramento River one time, and I had my, my worship pastor and his wife did the music for the wedding. And um, his wife was this cute little girl, and she had this, this diamond stud in her nose, you know. And uh, couldn't hardly see it, but it was there. And uh, we're sitting at this table, and there's two ladies from another church, and they were talking about how awful it is with these people with their piercings and their tattoos and, and all this sort of thing. And they're going on and on. And here sits little Juliet, you know. And uh, finally, they turned to me, and they said, what do you think about it? And I said, well, I don't know. Why don't you ask her? She has one, you know. And, and in our church, we had a, a couple, great couple, that were working in the nursery, but he had a tattoo shop, and he was tatted up all over. Well, people wouldn't want to, they didn't want to, a, a few people didn't want to take their kids into that nursery because of those people. They finally left. I guess that was a good thing. But all too often, there are those in churches who are super spiritual, who look down their noses on others, who put heavy burdens upon them. They set standards of who is accepted financially, educationally, spiritually. And evidently, there's this sense of exclusivity that creeps into the church. Now, this is nothing new. As I said, this was happening in Paul's day. You know, a lot of people say, well, I want to get back to the first century church where everything was pure. You know, like the church was really, really just perfect. Well, it's not perfect. Why is it not perfect? Because people. <laughs> people aren't perfect. So no church is going to be perfect, and the first century church wasn't perfect. See, when Paul was writing to the brothers and sisters at Rome, there were those that came into the fellowship who judged others because of three things. Number one, their diet, what they should eat. Number two, the days, whether they should worship on Saturday or Sunday. And number three, drinks. Can, can you drink alcohol in moderation? 
or should you be a complete, total abstainer? Now, on the, dish, on the issue of diet, they maintained that those that ate certain food weren't quite up to par spiritually. Why was this issue of eating meat so controversial? Why did it come into the church? Now, some people suggest it was because of the Essenes. The Essenes were a, a group of men who lived down in the desert, down around Qumran, down in the, along the Dead Sea, uh, north of Masada and in, in Gedi. It was where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Well, these, these Essenes had migrated north to Rome, and they were very Spartan in their, in their discipline. Now, John the Baptist, many people believe, was part of the Essene community before he went into public ministry. But the Essenes, having been converted to Jesus Christ, propagated this thinking that people who, who ate meat weren't spiritually minded. So that's one thought. The other thought is, is others suggest that the issue of meat arose in the church because Jews converted to Christ in the, in the church at Rome were still bound by Levitical traditions of what one should eat or should not eat. I believe, however, the question of meat in the early church was due to the buying and selling of meat in what is called the shambles. The shambles were open-air markets that sold the best cuts at the lowest prices. Who wouldn't shop there? Okay? They had all the best cuts. Now, the owners of the, shipe, the, the shambles could keep their, their prices low because their meat was, in a sense, secondhand. It had previously been offered to some pagan idol. Now, a Gentile would have no problem going into the shambles and buying meat. They wouldn't have a problem going into the temple where the animals were sacrificed to get the meat. But you wouldn't, count, you wouldn't catch a Jewish person with a Jewish background going into one of those places. But whatever the reason, Paul was aware of this tendency of some of the brothers and sisters in the Roman church to question the sincerity of the spirituality of others in the family. Now, perhaps you've gone through a week this week where you've felt like you've been judged because of some liberty that you enjoyed. Paul would encourage you that feel judged, who feel condemned, who feel looked down upon because of some super spiritual saint that has criticized you. You can have hope. I can find peace. As we listen to what Paul says to those people who put down believers who enjoy freedom in Christ. Number one, if you're taking notes, number one, it's, pre it's presumptuous to judge. Romans 14.4, Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. There was a conductor on a train that was headed from Switzerland to Germany. And he looked out the window and he saw some unfamiliar scenery. 
Leave immediately, he said to all the passengers in that car. You're on the wrong train. And all of the passengers looked at one another inquisitively and, and, and confused. And so they started talking to the conductor and they determined it was the conductor that was on the wrong train. Those who judge others essentially tell everyone else that they're on the wrong train. Paul says it's Jesus to whom you must answer. It, it's Jesus to whom you must give an account. Not to any man or leader or spiritual person or pastor. In 2 Corinthians 1.24 it says, Paul said, not that we have dominion over your faith, but are fellow workers of your joy. For by faith you stand. There was a woman that was seeing a psychiatrist. And after several sessions, the psychiatrist sensed that her issues, her problem, had to do with her parenting skills and her parent, parenting. And so he told her that. He says, that's the, the, the root of your difficulty. And he asked her, which of your three children do you love the most? And she I love them all the same, all equally. He said, impossible. You are deceiving yourself, and it's this self-deception that is keeping you from experiencing the liberty that you need to have. Now, you must be honest, he said, or I'll have no choice but to terminate these counseling sessions. And finally, in tears, she broke down. And she confessed and she says, you're right. When one of my kids is sick, I love that one the most. When one of my children is lost in the store, I love that one and care about that one the most. When one of my kids is bad, that's the one that I love and care about the most. When one of them is hurting the most at any given point, that is the one that I love and care about the most. In Psalm 30, 34, verse 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. See, the same is true with our Heavenly Father. While others might judge you because you're confused, hurting, or even bad, the Father looks down upon you compassionately and says, those are, that are hurting are the ones that I particularly care about. Jesus said the same thing in Luke chapter 15 when he ta taught the parable of the good shepherd. You know the story. The 99 sheep were all fine and okay, but there was one that was lost. That was the one he cared about. That's the one he sought after. And when we feel that way, when we feel condemned, when we feel lost, when we feel like we're no good, when we feel like we've blown it so bad, that's when God is the closest to us. He's the one that loves us especially. Number two, it's needless to judge. Romans 14.10, he says, But why do you judge your brother? 
Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 to 15, it tells us that every Christian, every brother, every sister, every single one of us, those that have been judged and those that are judging will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And for all the works that we've done, they will be tried by fire. Everything that we've done in the name of the Lord will be put through the fire, and only that which is gold, silver, and precious stones, only that which was done sincerely will remain. You know, I, I struggle with that. Because when you're a pastor, you're called on to do a lot of things. A lot of things that, quite frankly, you don't want to do. But because you're getting the big bucks, <laughs> you go and do it. And sometimes I wonder if, a lot of times I wonder if somebody else should be doing it. But it's so hard to di differentiate, am I doing this sincerely out of love for Christ and a love for His people, or am I doing it because I have to, because it's part of my job? And I'm sure it's that way with you in different, different aspects of your life. But this, this means that people who are doing seemingly spiritual things, that are leading seemingly disciplined lives, who are doing seemingly wonderful works, but for the wrong reasons, these works won't be rewarded. And truly, we don't know what other people's motives are. In Matthew 6, 2, Jesus told us that, that, the, that many of the, the, the Pharisees were doing good works, giving alms, etc., etc., to be seen by men. Sometimes we, we do things just so that people will see us doing them. But the true motives, our true motives, will be revealed at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. <laughs> you know, folks, we don't, we don't know half as much as we think we know. You know, in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitfully and desperately wicked. <laughs> How many times have you said, Well, they have a good heart. Jeremiah goes, uh-uh, <laughs> it's deceitful and wicked. So it's hard to figure out why I do what I do, much less trying to figure out why people are doing what they do. Fifty years ago, a preacher was traveling on a train, and as he was traveling, he was trying to prepare, he was studying for his sermon, and there was this little two-year-old girl right across the aisle from him who was, quite frankly, obnoxious, loud, running around, wouldn't sit still. Finally, he went to 
this woman and was sitting with the child and said, can you, can you control your child? And she said, it's not my child. And he says, well, well, where's the mother? Is the mother here? Yeah, she's here. Where is she? Well, she's in the cargo car in a casket. And the preacher was just humiliated. And he spent the rest of that time trying as best he could to comfort that little girl. See, we need to always look behind the behavior. Look for the source and origin. See, we all carry emotional baggage around with us from our past. And every one of us believes lies about ourselves that affect our behavior. So too with those that judge you. They don't know the full story. And you don't know the full story about them. So we have to be careful before we go about criticizing somebody. Look behind the behavior. There might be something there that you the really that you could really minister to rather than just criticizing. Earthly judgment is based upon limited information. But Paul says there's coming a day when judgment will be perfect. Number three is past judgment. As Jesus headed to the cross, he declared in John 21, verse 30, John 12, verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world, and we'll just stop there. In this, he told us something that was very exciting, very freeing. That is, that all the sins that we've ever done or will do have been paid for fully and completely when he died. The judgment that we should have received because of our sins was poured out on him. The Father's wrath that we should have received was poured out on his Son. See, in the days of the pioneers, out in those, those plains area with those grasses that fed all the buffalo, if a fire broke out from lightning or whatever, it would come up so quickly it was impossible to outrun or outride those fires. So what they learned to do is around their property, they would burn a big circle around it. And when a fire broke out, they would run into the center of that circle and they then were protected from that fire. And that's exactly the way we are when we are at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. We're protected from the judgment and the fire of God's wrath. And having said that, Paul says there's a present judgment also that should be taking place in the heart of every believer in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, 28, it says, So let a man examine himself or judge himself. So let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Paul says that we are to judge ourselves. Where? Where do we do that? At the communion table. Why? Because if we spend time confessing our sin, then we're not going to 
have a lot of the heartaches that could come our way. And you say, well, what kind of heartaches? The heartache of God's discipline. See, before my, my son Eric died, he was a very active little boy. And he had a propensity to pick up little pieces of metal like bobby pins and that sort of thing and stick them in the electric sockets. <laughs> but because I loved him, I disciplined him. Not because I wanted to come down on him. Not because I was mad at him. Not because I was trying to be cruel, but because I cared about him. So too, if you continue doing things that are dangerous, if I continue doing things that are dangerous to me spiritually, the Father will judge me. Not in order to punish me, but in order to save me from destruction. Now I believe in the bungee, in bungee theology. And that is that the Father hooks a bungee cord a bungee cord of his love around each and every one of us. And he gives us all kinds of space. Now, although that we can, we can stretch that bungee cord walking contrary to his will, at some point, that bungee cord is going to snap back and will come back to the Father. Now, if you're a believer, God's love is so wrapped around you, and it's wrapped around in such a way that He'll let you go your own way to a certain degree, but you'll come back. And the only question is, how hard will you hit? Judge yourself, Paul said, when you come to the communion table. You know, we're, we're to go there and we're to say, Lord, search my heart. See if there's any attitude or activities that are missed. And if you don't do that, you might find yourself splattered against God's wall of love. And finally, number four, there will be future judgment. And Paul refers this here in Romans 14. We talked about it a little bit. And he talks about it further in, in the Corinthian epistles. But at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, everything that you've ever done for Christ will go through a fire of purification. Whether it's gold, silver, or precious stones, those are the only things that are going to remain. And they will be your reward. And you say, well, big deal. I'm not really into gold. I could care less about silver or precious stones. They don't mean too much to me. Listen, those things are not important to you now, but they will be. For what goes on there will determine your capacity to enjoy eternity. They will determine what you will do for the next zillion years. Well, you say just being in heaven will be glory enough because it's going to be glorious. And it is going to be. Paul says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. 
But I also know when Paul came back from being caught up into heaven, the purpose of his life was now to win, to run the race, to win the prize. Having seen the reality of heaven, he knew everything else didn't matter. And Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 6.33 when he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Take my word for it. Paul would say to you, he would say to me, today your house, your car, your hobbies, your trinkets, your toys, they're all going to burn. They will not matter ultimately. What does matter is at the Bema seat, the judgment seat, where you will stand before Jesus and be, re be rewarded. And I believe that that's going to occur at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I say this because as I grew, grow older, I need to hear it myself because I want to finish my course well. I want to say, well, I've done all this stuff. Now I can coast. Because I want to win the race. I want to finish well. And I think you do too. It doesn't matter what you have done. What matters is what you're doing today. And yeah, I'm limited. I can't do as much as I used to do. I say it takes me all day to do what I used to do all day. You know? In Romans 14, 13, he says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in my brother's way. And that's pretty much the challenge. Romans 14, 13. Now, in many of Paul's writings, you'll, you'll see another style that he does. He, he'll... He'll write negative expectations, then followed by positive application. In Ephesians 4.25, he says, Let every man put away lying, speak truth. Ephesians 4.28, Let him who stole steal no more, rather let him labor. In 2 Timothy 2.22, he says, Flee also useful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Philippians 4.6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything give thanks. And here, Paul says, let us not judge any man. Judge ourselves. Is your legalism causing somebody to stumble and make them feel condemned? Or is your liberty causing others to stumble as they follow you to destruction? See, I may, I may have the faith to do something, and I have liberty to do it, but God hasn't given you that faith or that liberty, and if you start doing it, it's going to bother your conscience. And to you, it's going to be sin, even though it's not sin to me. Does that make sense? So if we don't judge ourselves, the Lord will judge us. Not to condemn us, but to correct us. Yes, He gives us liberty. 
but he loves us as well as all those around us too much to let us travel in a dangerous direction indefinitely. Now may God give us the wisdom to walk with both liberty and love, not to judge and not to stumble. In Jesus' name, will the worship team and the ushers come forward? We're going to pass out the communion trays during this next song. And when you take the elements, just hold them. And during the song, search your heart. See if God puts your finger on anything in your life and confess it. You know what confession means? It's the Greek word homo legeo. And it means to say the same. God, you say this is wrong, that this is sin in my life. I confess. I homo legeo. I'm calling it sin too. That's what confession is really all about. And he confessed that. As he points and puts his finger on some issue in your life. Now may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you grace. God bless.